man, it's good to see you guys. Some poor social distancing over in that area, but I'm not, I'm not going to say anything about it. Uh, I'm really glad that we get, be, get to be back together. I know it's not the same as having one service as we have had in the past, but uh, this is kind of the, the compromise we had to make, and the kiddos get to be in here today. You guys will decide if that's a good thing or not, I guess, by the, by the end of the service. But I am... I'm reminded, uh, as, I, as I just prayed, just how beautiful and wonder, wonderful it is to gather. And I don't know about you guys, but during the, the COVID season, I really feel like I had uh, my priorities kind of shaken, and then they kind of came back together, and I feel like I'm in a much healthier place now than I was before, which is odd, uh, because at the beginning of it, I really hated it. And I think the reason I hated it, and the reason I, I kind of discovered I hated it, was because it revealed some idols in my own heart. I began to realize that I took a lot of pride and value in the amount of people that showed up on Sunday. Like, I wouldn't have said that beforehand, but now looking at it, I'm like, yeah, I, I did take value in that. Like, there was a sense of me that felt accepted or rejected based upon how things went on Sunday. And I kind of love how God gave us technical difficulties today because he got to test me. So I, I was praying on the way here, uh, God, please, I, I don't want this to go back to the way it was. This is about you and whatever happens we really have a simple job here, church family, that is to come. We're going to sing songs to Jesus. I'm going to preach God's word, and then we are going to praise him together as a family. We're going to go home, and it's going to be awesome. Like, it's really that simple. Uh, and so I said, God, please help me not to go back to the performance mentality where it's like we've, we've, got, to, we've got to have a service that goes perfect for me to feel okay on Sunday afternoon because I, I, don't, I don't want to go back to that. And then I show up here, and the computer's wigging out, and, and we've got the the, whatever this is called about to explode like I was concerned for Zach's safety there for a second I didn't know what that was um, but I, I, even then in that moment I was reminded of a story I had read not too long ago of a church uh, gathering in Afghanistan where they had to go underground and the people as they would sing the hymns would literally whisper and the pastor tells stories of not being able to talk on Monday because for his whole sermon he would speak at this volume just praying that people in the back could hear him. But they had to be together, and they had to gather, no matter what the government said. And here we are in cushy, first-world America with speakers that sound like they're going to explode, and Blake Farley can get kind of down if those things don't go the way I want them to go. And I need to remember, the reason we're here is, as the Apostle Paul says here, and if he, or sorry, Philippians 3.1, in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And we are in this series uh, called Choose Joy. And really the whole idea behind it is, is your joy doesn't have to be based upon your circumstances. So as things are crumbling in around you, you can still have joy. I remember when I was a kid that we used to play this baseball team, and they had a pitcher who never stopped smiling. It was like we called the kid Smiley. Like I literally don't know what was wrong with him, but he just the whole time he pitched, he just, he just smiled. And he threw the, it was really hard to concentrate. It's probably his strategy, really. But... Like, he could throw a bad pitch, and he'd still just, you know, even when he's frustrated, he's smiling. It was like, oh, darn it, you know? Like, the guy just never stopped smiling. And in a sense, I think that should be us as Christians. Like, we just, we have this, this joy that illuminates the rooms that we walk into because our joy is not based upon one of circumstances. Our joy is based upon what Jesus has done for us. Our joy is based upon the hope that we have that our future is secure, that the worst thing this world can do to us is kill us, and that actually works out for our gain, the Apostle Paul would say. And if you have that perspective, then no matter what's going on, you can actually choose joy. 
And I love how here in Philippians 3, we're going to just look at nine verses today. Uh, Paul reminds us the source of all of this. Rejoice in the Lord. And what does he mean when he says that? Well, I believe from reading Paul, he's talking about the gospel. Uh, gospel means good news. And there's really two ways you can look at the gospel. Number one is the gospel is the good news of Jesus. So just the fact that Jesus exists at all. That God would take on human flesh and dwell with us. That God can be known through Jesus Christ. That alone is good news, my friends. That Jesus heard all of the prayers that we're saying out today as we were singing and as we were praying. And even now, as I'm preaching the word, Jesus Christ is with me, helping me as I preach this. That is good news in and of itself. That's the good news of Jesus. And then there's the good news about Jesus, or the good news that Jesus proclaimed. And that is that this God didn't come to condemn the world, which is amazing in and of itself as we look at the world around us. But he came actually to save the world, that he would live the perfect righteous life that Blake Farley could never in a million years dream of living. He would die an atoning death, exhausting the powers of evil and sin, exhausting the wrath of God that we deserve to actually undertake. And then he would rise again three days later in a victorious resurrection, like new creation bursting forth in this world of sickness and death. What good news is that, my friends? As we look at the world around us, everybody anxious, everybody with anxiety, Jesus' resurrection alone should give us great hope that new creation is bursting forth. And he promises not that only there would be new creation around us, but that we could be made brand new. Not a different person, but a brand new person with new values, new ways of living, with actual peace and purpose and fulfillment in our life if we trust in him. That is the good news. It works out in three ways. Uh, it defeats sin in our past, meaning that when Jesus died on the cross, your sin is no longer upon you. So Jesus, when he died for your sin, he died for the sin you'll commit three years from now. Like, you, you've got to believe that. Your shame, your guilt, it's all gone on the cross of Jesus. It's working right now in the present, giving us power over sin and empowering us for the mission that we've been called to. And it works in a future way. Uh, when Jesus comes back as a king, ultimately restoring this kingdom, destroying all of the kingdoms of enemy, all of our enemies' kingdoms, and ultimately, there will be no COVID, there will be no sickness, there will be no sadness, there will be no death as we uh, are in the kingdom where Jesus reigns victoriously, past, present, and future. That is what Paul means when he says we rejoice in the Lord. I thought that was good. Nobody even said amen. You guys do not look like you're rejoicing in the Lord very much, so that's okay because the Apostle Paul predicted this, and what he says next is to write to you again about this, so I, this is kind of, he's like a broken record. To write to you about this again is no trouble for me, and it is a safeguard for you. And really, that's what I try to do. I, I want to be the Apostle Paul. I just want, I want to come up here, and I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I say the same thing every week, just with a little bit of a different angle. Like, it's always about Jesus Christ and what he does. Blake, I need help with my marriage. Okay, let me tell you about the gospel and how that affects your marriage. Okay, Blake, I need help with my finances. Okay, well, let me tell you about the gospel and how that affects your finances. Like, everything that we do is gospel-centered, and every single week I stand up here to preach from this book, I'm trying to point you to the good news of and about Jesus Christ. That's what we do, and that's what the Apostle Paul does. And he says, I do this because it is a safeguard for you. Well, if it's a safeguard, it has to be protecting us from something. Like, we don't put up a fence for no reasons because we either want to keep our crazy neighbors out or we want to keep our crazy kids in. That's the reason we have fences. <laughs> Amen. 
And so this is what he says. Number two, here's, who's, here's who I'm protecting you from, and here's who the Apostle Paul is protecting the church in Philippi from. Verse two, it says, watch out for the dogs. Now, dogs were not held in as high regard in Paul's culture as they are in ours. Like my wife and I, we love dogs probably more than we should. Uh, our dog is our child. Uh, literally, like I'm, I'm, I, I think like when we have a human kid, uh, we're just gonna call Bella the bigger sister. Like I just like, we, we love our dog probably way too much. And when we got our stimulus money, it was like, you know, everybody's like, what are you going to do with your stimulus money? For me, it was like, we're buying a dog, you know? Like, my wife showed me this, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen these things, they're straight from heaven. Uh, it's, it's called the Burn Doodle, am I saying that right? Bernie Doodle? Yeah. These things are literally the cutest thing you've ever seen in your entire life. And I'm like, you know, I could use this $2,400 to, like, pay rent for the next few months, or I could buy this dog, right? And I'm like, buy the dog. And the way you guys are looking at me, it makes me think... That we have a lot of cat people here. Do we have any, like, cat people? Yeah, see, I'm praying that the Lord would convict you of your sin. <laughs> Cats are nothing like the gospel of Jesus. But if you are a cat person, this is your verse, because the Apostle Paul is throwing dogs right under the bus. That has nothing to do with the sermon. I just, I kind of went off on a tangent. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. And we know probably from that verse that the Apostle Paul would be talking about uh, the Judaizers, which were actually Christians in the first century in Jesus' day. Like they said, we believe Jesus is the Messiah, but they said that you had to be circumcised. So it was like, Jesus, rejoice in Jesus, yes, but also you have to be circumcised to, to fully be encompassed into what the Messiah is doing. Uh, to which, if you were a Gentile man, you could see why this would not be good news for you, right? Like, you're telling me at 45 years old, I have to be circumcised. And that's what these guys would say. Like, you're not actually in the kingdom of God if you haven't been circumcised. And so Paul's saying, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Well, why? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us by telling us, if they are the mutilators of flesh, then here's who we are. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision, which is, like, not a very good band name, right? Like, I think Paul should have thought of that a little bit better circumcision the ones who here's what we do this is so if, if we're protecting ourselves from the enemy then then the enemy would do whatever the opposite of this is right we are the ones who worship by the spirit of the god boast in christ jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh really paul's play on words here is is beautiful um, because the those who mutilate the flesh are actually the ones calling for circumcision right but paul says no we're actually the circumcision. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I think Paul had Deuteronomy 36 in mind when he said this. Uh, because if you would go back to the Deuteronomy law, which is actually the Old Testament, it says this. It says, the Lord, who? The Lord. Oh, yeah, we got to try it again. The Lord, the who? The Lord. You guys are awake. I love it. The Lord, your God, will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants. And you will love him with all your heart and all your soul so that you will live. See, the Apostle Paul says true circumcision is not an outward act. True circumcision is a circumcision of the heart. It's an inward act. And notice who Paul says does it in Deuteronomy. He says the Lord does it. And then as we look at Philippians, who does this circumcision? It is the Spirit of God. And as the Judaizers come, they're saying, no, this is what you need to do, which is not confidence in, your, in God, it's confidence in yourself and i'm losing audience members by the moment here 
start talking about circumcision and people walk out the door. It's just what happens. I don't know how to get past that. And uh, Paul actually continues this as he goes in uh, the book of Romans. He's writing to the church in Rome. And along these same ideas, circumcision of the heart, in verses 28 and 29, chapter 2, he says this, For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. It's because you're circumcised outwardly tells me nothing about how much you love God. In our culture, just because you come to church doesn't tell me really anything about how you love God. Just because you give money to the church doesn't really tell me how you love God. Wherever you would find value, you had a good week or you had a bad week, that doesn't actually tell me about your love for God. Paul would say it's not visible on the outside. Verse 29, on the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart. By who? By the spirit, not the letter. In other words, there's not, not, a, not a checklist I can give you, and if you follow this checklist, then, then you're in the kingdom of God. No, no, no. It's by the Spirit. It's something God does within us. It's something Jesus did for us. That's actually the definition of grace. Jesus doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, my friends. And yet, what do we often try to do? We often try to do things on our own, or we feel like we're righteous in front of God based upon what we do. And it's really sad for me because the, the further I see people get into this Christian faith, the further I see people get into discipleship with me, the more they seem to try to hide their sin because they think it, it elevates them in some way with me and with God if they haven't sinned as much in the past week. And the Apostle Paul would say, no, no, no. He said, as we keep reading on, he says, it's by the Spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people but from God. See, and this is why I think we so often try to do these outward things. Because if I'm outwardly at church and worshiping, then who sees me? People see me. You have no idea what's actually going on in my heart. You have no idea, even right now, as I stand up here and I proclaim this word, I can be excited, I can have charisma, and yet on my heart, I could hate the Lord. You have no idea what's going on on the inside. And yet there's something inside of all of us that wants people to see how good we are. And so we do a lot of things for the outward that people see. And Paul says, no, no, no. For God's kingdom, there are many things that will go unseen by people, and yet the Lord will see everything that's going on on the inside. Like, I truly believe there will be uh, some people in the future who, on the day of judgment, will be like, wait a minute, you're here? Like, I thought, I thought you hated the Lord. You just stood like this the whole time, you know, you're worshiping. Like, yeah, but on my heart, I was jumping for joy, you know? Like, I'm just, I can't wake up at 930 and be awake. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I had no idea. Because it's an inward thing, not an external thing. And the Apostle Paul would say the same here in Romans chapter 2. And, uh, you know, so what you would probably say, okay, well, uh, that sounds great, uh, but are you saying I can do any sinning I, I want to do? Like, am, am I allowed to just like, okay, if it's not about the outward flesh, I don't even need to go to church, you're right. I don't, like, I don't need to give. I don't need to be a generous person, a kind person. I don't need to do anything Jesus says because I just trust in Jesus. And I see a lot of this, especially in the Bible Belt. Like, people will tell me, oh, yeah, my... My little Jimmy, he's a Christian because 19 years ago at some kid's camp, he raised his hand and said, I trust in Jesus. And little Jimmy's out wreaking hell on earth right now, but, but he's a Christian because it's all about Jesus, right? So are, are you saying that, Blake? I'm not saying that at all. And I don't think the Apostle Paul would say that at all. But I would say if that's immediately where your heart goes, if you immediately go, yeah, but, yeah, grace, yeah, but, then I would say maybe it reveals something inside of you. Because you know who really hates grace? and mercy, the people who follow the rules. So isn't it interesting how much grace we give people in areas where we break the rules, 
but there is little grace for people who uh, break the rules where we try to follow them. So I, I think I could best illustrate this on the road. Uh, I think people who drive slow in the left lane are, I'm trying to think of a nice word, I can't think of any. They're, they're, they're not very smart. Not the brightest crayon in the box, if you will. Like There's something inside of me that just makes me angry. Like I don't even have to think about it. When I'm driving and you're in the left lane in front of me and you slow down and you're, you're not going fast enough where I can pass the people in the right lane, anger wells up within my heart. I don't have any grace for you. And yet what's interesting is if you're speeding by me, I have a lot of grace for you because I never follow the speed limit. Isn't it interesting how we have those dichotomies in our mind? Like I, I hate people who smoke unless you're a smoker. Or we're in the COVID season. Like, I can't believe people don't wear a mask unless you also don't wear a mask. We give grace where uh, we break the rules, but we tend to give condemnation and shame where other people don't follow the rules the way that we follow the rules. And so the Apostle Paul would say, actually, if you want to know the best rule follower there is, it's actually me. This isn't coming from a place of, of me trying to, to uh, free myself or get myself off the hook. No, no, no. On the contrary, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for more confidence in the flesh, I have more. So the Apostle Paul is like embracing his inner Donald Trump here. Right? If you think you're a better Jew than me, you're wrong. Fake news. I, nobody, nobody's Jew better than I'm Jew, right? Sorry, that... That's funnier in my head than you responded. <laughs> I thought that the, literally where my mind went in Bible study this week. He's like Donald Trump. Oh, man. And so he gives us his pedigree. Just going to move, move along, cross that one off the list. Okay, verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. In other words, from the beginning of my life, my parents did right. Like, I, I, I was in the right family. They took me to church. They did the right things. They, they, it, it, in our culture, they took me to Iwanas. I memorized the verses. I knew what was going on. Then it says, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. He was born in Benjamin. That's where the kings of Israel come from. So not only was he Jewish, but he was born in the right tribe of Jewishness. It says, regarding the law, a Pharisee. You want to know who knows this Bible to the letter better than anybody? Me. The Pharisees were known for memorizing the first five books of the Bible. A lot of us haven't even read the first five books of the Bible. He memorized Leviticus. Come on, friends. Leviticus. We know of all people how hard that would be, and yet Paul had it in his head. So nobody knows this book better than I know this book. Regarding zeal, persecuting the church. That, that if you want to know how passionate I was for this law, then I would, I would even go to the extent of killing the enemies, threatening the enemies that would come against this law. And for the Apostle Paul, it was literally the church, the church of Jesus Christ. This, this little new cult is threatening to take away from, from the Jews. And so I need to stop this. I was that zealous for it. And it says, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. You want to know who the best rule follower is? It's me. See, I, I follow the speed limit. I get out of Blake's way when he's coming in the left lane. And yet I, I, I do not judge those or think that my righteousness is found based upon, the, based upon doing those things. It's not about that. Verse 7, here's what he says. But everything that was a gain to me, that whole pedigree I had, 
I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss, which we can't even wrap our minds around as a Jewish man saying this. Like, you had what everybody wanted. Like, you were the pinnacle of it all. And Paul says, yeah, and I consider all of that loss. How could you say that? Well, as we continue on, it says, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, it's interesting how some things that used to mean a lot to us can now mean hardly nothing to us when something of more value comes. But like right now, I'm into golf, uh, and I'm not very good at it at all. But I don't have a child. I just have my little fur child, which I can leave at home, and nobody gets mad at me. Like, when I have a real human, I probably can't just leave her at home and uh, go golf. People would turn me in, and you guys should if I do that. So I imagine that there will come a day when, when Taylor and I bring a, a child into this world, Lord willing, that my golf game will suffer. My, uh, for me, a big one was my NASCAR watching, even with Taylor. So I love NASCAR, uh, which is no secret here at Ascent. And please do not be one of those people who come up to me after and say, they just go in left turns, another left turn. Okay, yeah, I've heard that joke <laughs> 1,000 times. I get it, I get it. Uh, and yet what's interesting is I almost risked my dream job to go to prom with Taylor Harris, right? So I, I was working at the Texas Motor Speedway. Awesome job, got free tickets to the races. And really, Texas Motor Speedway is a really chill place to work, but they said that the one time you do not take off of work, I mean, if you are bleeding, you do not take off of work. If your mother's mother dies of a stroke, you do not take off of work. You are here on race weekend. Well, race weekend just happened to line with prom. And uh, you see, the year before, I went to prom with another girl, and Taylor had another date, and that's kind of where we reconnected. And so I knew what happens when Taylor goes to prom without her date. And I wasn't about to let that happen. That was going to be a new Blake Farley next year. And so I had to, and guys, I'm not, I'm not proud of this. Confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. But I, uh, I told my bosses at Texas Motor Speedway that I had a grandpa that died. Uh, do not judge me. Yes, <laughs> polishing your halos. He, he did indeed die. It was just two years before. <laughs> it wasn't a, wasn't a total lie. Uh, and I said, I'm out of here, and I went to prom with Taylor, at, which, praise God, like, nobody got on Facebook and saw that, and if you're one of my bosses at Texas Motor Speedway watching on the Facebook live stream, I feel so good to get that guilt off my conscience, and I apologize. Uh, but for me, the value of Taylor Harris exceeded that of NASCAR. Like, I don't, I don't care if I lose this job. I'm not willing to lose this girl. And in a roundabout way, we can see here the connection with the Apostle Paul who... Uh, says, even with all of that, you have to understand that Christ and what he's done, the trust I have in him, what he has done for me, so far exceeds all of the Jewishness, all of your rule following, that I count it as rubbish. And as he continues on in verse 8, says, because of him I have suffered the loss of all things. In other words, none of that even matters anymore. And consider them as dung, which is an awesome word that translators have really a hard time translating, but it's, it's really this, this like vile word, this defecation. I, I just, I just, I see it as disgusting. You don't keep your dung. You, you get it away from you. You, you don't even like it in the value of seeing Christ is what he would say, so that I may gain Christ. His trust is in Jesus alone. 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. And I just ask you, friends, where is your rejoicing? Where is your confidence? Is your confidence in Christ or is your confidence in how you're doing? I'm reminded of a story by uh, a pastor that I know, Jeff Vanderstelt, pastor I know of. I don't actually know him. Um, yeah, I just thought of a story, but I'm going to let it go. ADHD. Sometimes like, you see, is he thinking? Yes, I, I have like seven stories going at once in my head. Uh, but I, he, he speaks of this young man who uh, was struggling with lust and in particularly, uh, and we have kids in here, so watching things on the internet he should not watch. You can fill in the blank there. And uh, this guy was starting to make a little bit of progress, and, and, and Jeff would notice he was, you know, he was really confident in himself. And then he, you know, he made a mistake where he fell back into the sin, and as he met with him, this kid was just overcome with shame and guilt. Like, I, just, I can't believe I did that. I'm disgusted. You know, like, I didn't even, even want to show up here at our meeting together. And uh, Jeff told him, who is your faith in right now? Like, like when you are doing terrible and you feel the shame and the guilt overcoming you, who are you looking at? And the young man realized he's looking at himself. They're like, I'm upset because I did bad. And Jeff told him in that moment, repent and believe the gospel. Do you believe Jesus Christ when he died on the cross of Calvary, when he said it is finished, when he poured out his blood for you, that it counted for you? And the young man said, yeah, I guess I do. So then turn from your shame and turn to the glory of Christ. And I, I found that to be beautiful for my own soul because I often struggle with this idea that when I am doing good, that I feel good, and when I'm not doing so good, shame and guilt overcome me. And again, if you're, you're the kind of the rule follower type, you're like, yeah, but Blake, but, but he needs to, to feel bad about his sin so he doesn't do it again. And I'm not saying we don't grieve at our heart over the sin that we've committed, but when you get to the point where you're just focusing on yourself in that, that is not gospel-oriented. That is flesh-oriented. So I would just ask you, even now, where do you find your joy? Do you rejoice in the Lord, or do you rejoice in what you're doing? Do you feel good about yourself because you came to church today and you maybe read your Bible a little bit? Or do you feel terrible about yourself because you didn't do the things you know you ought to do? Last night, you messed up. I would just tell you, my friends, repent and believe the good news. Because it is in the freedom of that that we actually then begin to make positive changes. It's, it's like so fascinating to me that when we lift rules, we lift restrictions, we actually then begin to want to do the right thing. I've used this illustration several times, but it's, it's like, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted everything I could to stay up past 9 o'clock. And now that I'm an adult, I'm like begging to go to sleep by 9 o'clock. I didn't want to take naps as a child when they were forced upon me, but now as an adult, I'm like, can I please get a nap? Isn't it interesting? How when we lift the restrictions, we actually then begin to want to do the right thing. And Jesus says, I have paid for the shame and the condemnation so that you can actually be freed by grace through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to actually make changes that are positive in your life and make you look more like Christ Jesus himself. I was reminded, and we'll close with this uh, if Jen and Zach want to come up. I was reminded of a parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13, verses uh, 44 through 46 as I was preparing this week. Jesus says this, and I really think that this is the, the thing that Paul is trying to get across to you and I today. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. So to, to the rest of the world, this guy looks like a fool. 
right? Like he's selling everything he has. And we would say, why are you doing that? And yet this man knows something that the people around him do not know. He's selling everything so that he can go buy a field that has a treasure buried beneath it. And I would just say, friends, that's what it means to trust Jesus. I'm hedging everything I have on him. Like, I don't care if I look like a fool to the world. I believe he is who he says he is. I do not find my trust in in what I do. I do not find my trust in the government. I do not find my joy in my circumstances. I find my joy in knowing that I have found this great treasure. And the world can say, Blake, you're dumb for, for not doing these things, for not going out and, and, and being, uh, you know, fulfilling your every hedonistic desire in this world. You're dumb for being faithful to your wife for 20 years. You're dumb for, for not talking this way or doing this. And I, I'm just like, no, 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 no. I'm hedging everything I have on Jesus Christ. Like, I count everything else a loss in this world so that I might be with Jesus. And then he says this in verse 45 to really get the point across. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and he sold everything he had and bought it. Friends, I'm asking you today, everything you have on the table, everything you have, everything you put your trust and your faith in, put it on the table for the name of Jesus. Put your trust in what he has done on your behalf and what he is doing on your behalf even right now. See, my hope for all of us is that we can join with the Apostle Paul in what he says in chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. And I want to read this to you out of the the message paraphrase because I think it puts it beautifully. And I want you guys to believe this in your own heart. So this is the very credentials these people are waving around as something special. I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master. Firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant, dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. Let's pray, my friends. Lord, I have with all my might today, with everything I have, tried to proclaim your good news, that it is you who works on our behalf. Lord, that we are to trust in you and you alone, not our credentials of faith or the other things we might find trust in this world, but Lord, in what you have done and what you have done alone. And today, Lord, I pray for those who have never trusted in you that they would trust in you, but I pray, Lord, for those who maybe became a Christian and were baptized 20 years ago, would have a renewed sense of trust in what you have done because it is in you that true freedom is found. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And it is now that we sing songs of praise to you. In your name we pray, amen.